I'm Nick Schillingford coming to you from the Urban Cabin Studios in South Minneapolis with episode number 51 of Socialist News and Views for September, Police Perspectives. We start with a short news segment. Climate change continues to be the top story with heat waves flooding and wildfires across the globe. The question is not, are the profit motives of capitalism causing it or when will the repercussions be seen? But how will we do everything in our power to stop the fossil fuel and profit system and survive in the meantime? Democracy Now! says 75,000 marched in New York on Sunday to end fossil fuels and hundreds of thousands marched for climate justice around the globe this past weekend. UAW on strike, United Auto Workers have commenced a stand-up strike under President Sean Fain, striking at certain locations across the U.S. rather than taking out all UAW workers at once. I encourage you to keep your eyes on this extremely important struggle and join the conversation on strategy and tactics to win the struggle. Locally, a rally called Home for Good was held at the Governor's East Cliff Mansion, Twin Cities Incarcerated Workers Organizing Committee, MN wrongfully convicted judicial reform, communities united against police brutality, and families supporting families against police violence were calling on the Department of Corrections Commissioner Schnell to immediately implement the Minnesota Rehabilitation and Reinvestment Act, MRRA, which would allow thousands to earn early release from incarceration or shorten their community supervision. Here is Tommy Powell speaking at that event. We the people of Minnesota demand Governor Tim Walls and this democratically controlled legislature to begin the overdue task of dismantling America's misguided system of mass incarceration by substantially reducing by at least 25% Minnesota's prison population within the next year. This year. We the people of Minnesota make this demand because our collective witnessing of the agonizing death of my dear friend George, AKA Big Perry Floyd, forced our state to reimagine the concept of criminal justice, which renders us the epicenter of change here in this country. We the people of Minnesota understand that the change we demand must be swift and it must be direct, or else we'll all <laughs> be consumed by this weather that's killing the whole planet. So if we can't come together as a nation of people and stop fractionalizing because he's white or he's black or he's a nigga, he's a bitch, you know, come on. We got to do something about this planet or we all gonna die while we in here cutting each other's throats. That's all I gotta say. And now a musical break with some thoughts on crime, which was a collaboration of Socialist News and Views, Urban Cabin Studios and Leftist News Network. Causes for crime are poverty, mental health, 
that the main causes are not being able to afford food. Like, literally, most crimes are crimes out of desperation. Like, we can live in this fantasy of it's not that it's just people want to commit crime, but not a lot of people want to commit crime, let's be honest here. People commit crime because they can't afford food, they can't afford rent. These are, these are basic Destroy the encampment. 
heard of an encampment through violent means? What did you succeed in doing exactly? Destroying the only homes they have? And now we go to police perspectives. The question we asked listeners was, so as it relates to the institution of police in our society, what should our slogans and or demands be? Community control of the police, defund the police, abolish the police, something else, a different kind of focus framing altogether, and why? All of the responses have been slightly edited for length and clarity. Here they are. Well, uh, my name's uh, Adam Turrell, and uh, I'm a member of... uh... Southern Illinois uh, DSA here in Southern Illinois and Carbondale, Illinois. I'm an artist and I do a lot of work with my, my partner, Tish. Um, and on the question of the police, I, I believe the goal needs to be the complete abolition of the police in the carceral state. And obviously the movement needs to determine the exact nature of specific tactical and strategic demands that may fall short of that goal, but in a way that moves us toward that goal, not away from it. Um, several of my comrades um, were involved in the struggle against the death penalty in Illinois, helping amplify the voices of the death row 10 in the 90s and early 2000s. And eventually, then Governor Ryan emptied Illinois death row. Uh, the death row 10, by the way, were a group of people who were tortured into confessions uh, by former uh, Chicago police commander John Birch. And demanding an end to the, the death penalty in Illinois was a, a partial demand because we were for the complete abolition of prisons altogether. But we felt it was something that was urgent because people who were innocent and people who weren't innocent were, were being essentially tortured and executed by this barbaric racist system. It was a winnable demand that we thought had the potential to strengthen the movement for the next fight. And the partial demand was in no way in contradiction to the ingle. You know, and I think a way to think about this is like union contracts. You can think of the difference between a compromise and a union contract that moves the labor struggle forward and a rotten compromise that undermines it. And we've all seen this if we've been involved in labor organizing. For example, let's say you have no staffing minimums, let's say a, a hospital, and you want a nurse-patient ratio of, let's say, five to one, and the boss wants no minimums. Let's say the current staffing ratio is currently about seven to one, but it's not official, and you end up winning a six to one uh, contract um, ratio. And that's a compromise, but it also might be a step forward overall. But let's say you have a staffing minimum in your contract, but the boss wants to get rid of them and they offer a 15% raise to accept the removal of that ratio language and the union agrees. That's a rotten compromise that sets the movement back. It sacrifices the future for the present. In the 90s and early 2000s, focusing on the death penalty was a compromise, you know, with our overall goal, but it was a principled and strategic one and we didn't abandon the goal. It was a step on the way. The death penalty in Illinois was abolished and the political discussion moved to the left. And that was under a corrupt Republican governor. So like by contrast, talking about a rotten compromise or a rotten tactical approach to abolition of the racist carceral state and the police. And that was when several quote unquote socialist persons in Chicago voted to increase police funding in the city budget in exchange for a paltry amount of social spending um, uh, in recent in, in the last couple of years. And this was right after the 2020 BLM uprisings and protests. And it had a demoralizing and demobilizing impact on the struggle that had just raised the slogan, defund the police. And here were comrades doing the exact opposite of that. 
the socialist older persons voted to increase police funding did the same thing as the imaginary union did in my example. They traded the future of the struggle for negligible gain in the present. Now, I know there's debates and discussions about the class nature of the police. Some folks think they're workers and a lot of cops are drawn from the working class, but they're not workers because the very function of the police changes the relationship to production. And the racist history of the police, particularly in the United States, further separates them from the working class, which is disproportionately made up of people of color. The police were basically invented in various countries from like the late 18th to the 19th and early 20th century. And there were earlier kinds of law enforcement in the office of the sheriff or constables appointed by the state or lords. But a large standing group of police was an invention, not in response to crime, but in response to crowds and modernity. And three things in particular are important. The formation of a large working class during and after the enclosures and industrial revolution. Racial policing, particularly in colonial settler states and in, and, and, and in countries with slavery. And the policing of immigrant labor. Slavery and immigrant labor were central to the formation of the police in the United States. And the decades leading up to the Civil War, more and more slaves were rented out by slave owners for industrial production and mine work. And this meant that there were slaves that weren't on the plantation. They were walking around, although not freely, in between jobs. And police forces were raised to monitor slaves as they went about non-farm labor in cities and towns. In the U.S., the police are also bound up with vigilantes, with the private and semi-private armed forces of colonial settlers, especially in the West, and slave owners in the South, and later industrial strike bakers like the Pickertons everywhere. And this is why the police don't prevent crime. They're, they barely investigate it, because that's not what they were created to do. They were created to police crowds of exploited labor and oppressed people. And in the end, why they can't be reformed. Structurally, this is what they are. They have to be abolished. They're racist and anti-working class at their very core. And they're already connected to the far right historically in the United States. They're sort of embryonic of fascism, uh, like in the Italian sense of fascia um, in the U.S. And if a cop comes from a working class background, they are, by definition, uh, a class traitor. Hi, my name is Tanya and I'm a labor organizer and I also dabble in social justice and internationalism. And I was recently in Cuba. Um, the police there actually protect and serve. Um, and, and their system is actually catered towards human beings in a way. Uh, honestly, as a leftist, you imagine it, but you don't think has been possible or implemented in a successful way because of US imperialism, but like that, that did exist. The purpose of the police, they say, is protect and serve. But how many of us actually feel protected and served by the police? In the United States, when you are a rape victim and you go to the police, do they investigate? No, it so happens that, you know, there's hundreds of thousands of rape kits that are just um, not, not investigated. There's just so much um, violence and crime that actually takes place and the police doesn't investigate it or the police is not going after the actual criminals. And to protect and serve means, you know, the way I imagine uh, ideal policing, and I do think that we need we need some kind of lawmaking entity that protects like women from predators. It's like, it's like some, it's like a, it's like a organization that actually helps the underserved 
not not puts their boot on their necks, you know, which is what the policing in the United States looks like. And I think the first step towards to 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 pull that back from where we are right now, which is which is basically a militarized fascist force, is to demilitarize the police, take away their freaking guns. It shouldn't be like as heavily armed as they are. Like this, we're not, this is not a war zone. And I think that the police, um, I, I don't know, there should be some kind of class solidarity. There should be more, there should be more uh, training. Like they, they go into, they're going to the force after like six, seven weeks of training. And, you know, th there's, there's jobs that require a lot, you know, less, oversight but then they have they undergo more of a training that the police just do not police don't they're not trained on how to how to talk to like rape victims and this is one of the big things that i've come across i recently watched this netflix show called suspect slash victim and you know it's had a huge impact on me and this is why i kind of want to you know i want i'm going to start studying for my lsats because i want to go into law now because yeah, and it kind of blew my mind, and it, I've been I've been feeling outraged, and um, I think it, it deserves you know more of a platform. I think pe more people should be talking about what what happened there, and and it's like it's like I didn't think that this happened, and whenever you know another layer of policing uh, injustice is like exposed, it shocks me. Like, are you serious? I just wonder how much more there is that the police does that's so messed up and that traumatizes our population, traumatizes the most vulnerable people in our society and nothing is done about it. So it, I definitely think American police is a freaking fascist force and like we should take away all their guns. I would be okay with hiring more cops, take away their cars, take away their motor vehicles, take away their technology in that way. Like put them on freaking bicycles, go tour like little like neighborhoods, go go play more of a role of a social worker when you're there to help people. If somebody's car's broken down, I think police should be playing that role. Like fucking, you know, <laughs> put air in people's cars when they have a, a they have an issue, not like arrest people for for just, you know, catching them on the worst day of their life. So, you know, I think there's yeah, that 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 um, whatever the police force is, I feel like it, it it needs a major overhaul. And I feel like people who want to abolish it or people who want to like, you know, do defund it and all of this, I feel like it doesn't really capture a, what actually needs to be done. So I, I, I used to be like abolish the police and this and that, but um, I feel like that's not the right way to go about it. I feel like they have to be uh, like, like neutered. Police force has to be neutered of their like uh, testosterone filled <laughs> policing that they do. Hi, I'm Jennifer Neighbordal. I am a filmmaker. I am mainly a satirist as a filmmaker, but I'm also a documentary filmmaker and a citizen journalist. My current project has to deal with the Minneapolis Police Department and government and how they tend to solve problems by pushing them aside, trying to make them go away, as in um, violently pushing protesters off the street or uh, what is my main focus of the film, um, their removal of encampments with uh, really kind of that 
tunnel vision view of things without really looking at uh, more productive solutions. And, and I'm, I'm calling it closing time. I first uh, started a project um, after the George Floyd murder. And I'd gone out to um, George Floyd's square not too long after it was built and shot some activities around there. There were some uh, protests and demonstrations, uh, especially when it was threatened with removal. And so that was the summer of 2020. And uh, it was also in the fall of uh, 2020 that I became aware of um, some activities a friend of mine was doing. She was volunteering to bring uh, supplies, food, health materials, uh, tents uh, in the winter, propane, uh, everything that was needed basically for survival. And she was very much involved with others who were doing the same thing. It was a very well-organized thing, and I started documenting that. I also documented a removal of an encampment in, in, in that fall um, in the area of Franklin and Hiawatha, which um, through the coming years became a um, frequent place to return to because um, the government and the police would push them out and they'd go and find another place to set up until they got pushed out again. It became a um, horrifying game of whack-a-mole that the government was playing with people's lives. There are various factors that weigh in my opinion on this, and uh, I kind of go through the, the process immediately after uh, the George Floyd murder, and when people were talking about defending the police and people were talking about eliminating the police, um, out of my anger, I was saying, yes, eliminate the police. Um, after a few weeks, I, I found myself calming down a bit and I was leaning more towards the defund the police. But I had a learning process. When I learned about you know, how the police departments in this country were originally formed, basically as a means of um, catching runaway slaves, before that, we didn't have police department. We had sheriffs and things like that. But um, that uh, gave me a new perspective on the whole idea of the police department and the idea that, well, let's break up the responsibilities a bit. Maybe uh, do eliminate uh, the the police department, but not until we have found, you know, a, a good ways for the communities to organize and uh, handle these problems by themselves, you know, whether it be uh, a addiction problem that has gotten out of control or a mental health problem or, you know, a, you know, straight up violent crime situation or organized crime situation and different units to cover these different aspects of uh, uh, community problems. And that's kind of where I'm at. I mean, it's, it's, it's a complicated mix, but uh, I'm definitely of the opinion that something needs to change. We cannot have what we 
currently have. I, I mean, it's, if the police department fails in something, uh, the solution in the past has been to just give it more money when um, usually that is not the kind of solution you go to. You, you would kind of uh, say they're, they're not doing well. Maybe, maybe you should give them less money and, and, uh, and, and reorganize things. So it's, uh, it's something that definitely needs to change. So my name is Dan Englehart. I am a business agent with MAPE, the Minnesota Association of Professional Employees. I've been with MAPE for 11 plus years and I've worked in for other unions and, and worked as an organizer and in other capacities on political campaigns and issue-based campaigns. But my experience with, with MAPE, which is state employees under the same law that you know allows police to have collective bargaining and a you know so-called union or federation in, in Minnesota, um, you know, so I come from that perspective a lot. And then as, you know, someone who does live in Minneapolis and cares about Minneapolis and, you know, the, the shame and the scourge of what our police department is and, and has done over time. So obviously there's the, the world as it is and the world as it should be. I mean, of course, like as an aspirational goal of, of not having to have, you know, abolishing police or not having police in society, of course, I'm, I'm for that. Um, we have the world as it is, however, and we, you know, we, um, from my perspective as a public sector union business agent, what I think we need, you know, right now and can happen immediately is, um, is honest, you know, pushing our electeds to be honest about what's possible within the realm of a collective bargaining agreement. And instead, what we've gotten is, is outright lies saying they can't, you know, discipline up to it, including termination. They can't set policies. We had the interim chief do a discipline matrix that got rolled out in late January that nobody knows about. It's not even out there public. And, and it's actually, from what I can tell, um, a quite a positive change. So, you know, anybody that uses excessive force should should be disciplined up to an including termination. Um, anybody that, um, you know, has a, an issue, you know, in their past, like we've seen recently, it's in the news with this Timberlake or what what have you. Um, shouldn't be hired in the first place, uh, you know, and then, of course, any sort of ties to, you know, hate groups and defining that and just being clear. So, um, you know, words like defund, I mean, we should always be putting things in. So what's the slogan, right? Um, putting things in the positive is, is you know, so defund is in the negative. So, like, what do we what do we want? Um, you know, where do we want that money to go? So framing it to, you know, we want to we want we want public safety, a holistic public safety, you know, so re, words like reimagining public safety, but reimagining to what? So like getting to, um, you know, an accountable with the amount of guns we have in society. I, I you know, is until that's changed. I do think we need some level of police. And I think that, you know, that we've seen reactionary elections happen in Minneapolis. The mayor of New York got elected in, in that way as well. So, you know, to have if somebody's out, you know, doing a mass shooting, I think we, you know, we, what do we do? So, th so that, that's a reality we have to face. Um, so, you know, um, funding a holistic public safety program, like a whole, you know, funding holistic public safety and public safety that, that works for everyone uh, with mental health response where, where appropriate. And, and, you know, if it is a police re uh, response that's armed, that it's a highly accountable 
and uh, and everyone who should have access to what that accountability means. Uh, everyone, everyone that has anything to do with being in in that jurisdiction in that municipality, in this case Minneapolis, um, needs to know what that level of accountability is and and what's being done in an ongoing manner. And that does mean decreasing funding to an armed response. That that does mean just being completely transparent about accountability for um, showing any form of bias, implicit, explicit, um, and of course, you know, excessive force up to and including termination. And why I'm, I'm passionate about this, it really comes from the my experience um, as a as a public sector business agent, seeing state employees get disciplined for far less, um, and up to and including terminated, they're held accountable. A core union value has to be quality work, and we are seeing, or we've seen, the furthest thing from quality work with with the Minneapolis Police Department and police departments across the United States. And uh, but it is on the employer to hold to hold the workers accountable and the union to to make sure that th that's done um, uniformly and, and, you know, meeting just cause. So it, I think we get, you know, if we're not focused on what can happen right now, we, you know, we're in, we're going to end up, we, we end up with um, Amir Locke or we end up with, um, you know, after George Floyd or, um, you know, there's been, there's been multiples that could be named uh, multiple tragic murders by our police since then. So, when we get distracted by very aspirational messaging and goals, and, and again, any sort of message should be, you know, in the positive versus like we can easily identify what we want to stop, but like defund, but what then what? What is what is the positive? So, being focused on what we can do right now is, um, and then of course, you know, looking to how do we transform society to the point where we don't need police? Yes. And that's our episode. Thanks for listening and keep your eyes on UAW. This is a struggle for all workers. Solidarity. struggle just to stay alive.